0: Hi, my name is Yara and I'm the host of Life After Birth. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the Wajak Noongar people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded. I send my respects and reverence to Wajak Noongar elders, past, present and emerging. On this podcast, we share stories and wisdom about the ups and downs of our mothering experiences, much like the First Nations people of Australia have done so through their storytelling for over 60,000 years. Through their oral traditions, the Wajaknunga people have supported and celebrated one another and have passed down knowledge, values and lessons, providing a testament of the power and significance of sharing our own stories. In honouring them, we recognise the importance of storytelling in understanding our past, navigating our present and shaping our future. My hope is that this podcast carries this spirit forward in our conversations, acknowledging that while our stories may differ, they all hold value and contribute to our shared human experience. Hey, Mama, I'm Yara Heery, and this is Life After Birth. This is where you can find honest and vulnerable conversations that lift the veil on how mothers really experience life after birth. Join me as I talk to the experts in the parenting space, but not as you've heard them before. These conversations explore the common humanity in all our lived experiences as mothers, so that you're left feeling seen, heard, validated, and bolstered in your ability to weather your mothering storms. Hey there, beautiful souls. I've got such a treat for you this week. I am absolutely thrilled to share this beautiful conversation with the amazing Amy Malloy. When I recorded this chat with Amy, it was my first time speaking with her, but it did not feel like that in any way. Not just an award winning journalist, editor, and author, Amy is also the creative force behind the hit podcast, The Space. And as if wearing all those hats isn't enough, she mentors aspiring writers through her course, The Book Writing Remedy. There are so many elements that make Amy's work so captivating, including her own experiences throughout her life, but certainly her counselling background is also one of them. Amy has specialised in grief, loss and mindfulness therapies, and she brings that trauma-informed lens to her storytelling, focusing on narratives that heal. And in the realm of motherhood, we could all use a bit of healing, so that's always a beautiful thing to bring in. In this cozy chat, we dig into Amy's personal evolution since becoming a mother, how it's pushed her, pulled her, and ultimately reshaped her definition of success. We also explore the necessity of embracing our multiple identities, including the powerful role of mother in our professional lives. I especially love when Amy talks about how this has enriched her career and even softened her edges in the most empowering way. We also tap into the sometimes uncomfortable but important subjects of grief and life's fragility, especially as they connect to our roles as parents. It's an honest conversation full of insight and compassion. So grab yourself a cuppa and get comfy. Enjoy, mamas. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm very excited to be having this conversation and bringing it to these beautiful listeners. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. I love discussing these kind of topics. (laughs)
0: Yes, exactly. Real life, hey? So what I want to start with is the question that I ask everyone, and that is, who is Amy Malloy? Where do you (sighs) come from?
1: Oh, that's a big question. Isn't it? Well, I mean, you know, there's the CV answer and then there's the other big high collection, messy, complicated answer. Most people know me as a journalist and writer. So I started my career in England, working for the magazines and the glossies and the world of fashion and celebrity and that kind of thing. And then I came over to Australia and was editor of Grazia Magazine here and still in that celeb fashion-y world. And then transitioning out of that and into kind of a freelance writing and really finding my voice, I've moved over the years into kind of mental health, lived experiences, real life stories. So, I mean, even back in the day in England, I was always the reporter sent out for the really emotional, traumatic stories. And now looking back, it makes me laugh because I would have been like 23 and going off, you know, to, to interview someone whose like daughter had just died in a plane crash or reporting on 9 eleven and the widows of 9 eleven or you know the victims of the tsunami and like the really gritty gruesome emotional stories and I would like wander off to interview these people but I always had this real attraction to not even the dark side of life, but like how we as humans can overcome these amazing, challenging experiences and still move on with hope. Yes. And, you know, vigor and, and just still move on at all, mm. not just curl up in a ball and just give up. And that has really become like the, the roadmap that my career has followed as a writer, as an editor, as a ghostwriter, as a, you know, book writing coach, which I do now. And, you know, in the mental health work I do, it's all about like, let's share those lived experiences in a way that helps me as the writer to heal and helps you as the reader to heal too. And that is the big goal of my work. Now, whether I'm helping someone write a memoir, whether I'm writing my own story, talking on a podcast like this, I call it storytelling for healing.
0: Yes, I love it. It's
1: my big mission. So that's it. How can we share a story that helps me as the storyteller and helps you as a person absorbing that story? How can it help make the world a brighter
0: place? Yeah, I love that. And I mean, that. that's kind of the, <laughs> the concept here as well, I guess, of this show. And, you know, one of the things that I really noticed and really resonate with that story, but also really noticed in my own practice is just that when we are able to share stories, there is so much more healing that can happen than when we just, you know, from a therapeutic perspective, myself moving away from that idea of like as a psychologist being blank and being just the person that's just listening, but not, you know, and so actually moving away from that in my own practice has really allowed me to see just how powerful that is when people actually share stories. And you say, yeah, I can relate to that because this happened. And there's this beautiful exchange that happens. And there's like the normalization of our grief and of our loss and our joy as well, all within that. It's just so, so powerful.
1: Well, my husband always laughs because he always says like, how, what is this magic talent that you have that like, he take me out to dinner and I'll sit down with like a work colleague of his, who's he's known for 10 years and doesn't know anything about. And within like 10 minutes, they're telling me about their depression or their struggle or this hope they have for the future and my husband's always like how do you get people to open up but I am very open and I always think it's that exchange that mutual exchange of shared experiences that I will give them a little bit they will give me a little bit and in doing so we kind of like ourselves intertwine and we share our experiences and we walk away both hopefully feeling those wow moments that we have when we have those deeper conversations and we walk away and go, wow, that was special. And like, I think I'm lucky to have that kind of every day. <laughs> <laughs> it might be like a little exchange with someone in the gym yeah, or like a person at the coffee shop, those little micro moments of like mutual exchange of storytelling. And to me, that's what makes life copable. That's what helps us survive.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. I would like to know who were you before you became a parent? So, oh. you know, <laughs> I would really like to know that. So, I mean, that that description, that beautiful description and insight into who you are, I feel like it is a beautiful, it tells us about where you've come from to some degree, but also, you know, how that's developed over your life now. But I'd really love to know who were you how were you different before you became a parent in in terms of the way you kind of took up space in the world and navigated life? And sometimes when I ask people this question, I may even say things like, you know, tell me five ways of describing who you were, as you know, in terms of your personality or that kind of thing before you became a mother. Hey Mamas, it's Yara here from Life After Birth Psychology. I want to talk to you about something that many mothers carry a lot of shame about, and that's anger. Have you ever found yourself thinking, what the hell is wrong with me? Why am I so angry? Why can't I just stay calm? Well, I want you to know that you're not alone. So many mothers quietly worry about their anger. But did you know that your anger carries messages that can unlock a more regulated and fulfilling experience for you as a mother? To support you in changing your relationship with anger, I have created a self-paced online workshop designed to help you understand your anger and learn to process and express it in more adaptive and healthy ways. Within the workshop, you'll explore the role of your nervous system, the hidden messages in your emotions and even how your past influences how you respond to challenge and stress today. But the best part you'll gain practical tools that'll help you gracefully steer through those intense moments, all while deepening the heartfelt connections you cherish with your children and loved ones. Ready to get started? All you have to do is head to lifeafterbirthpsychology.podia.com, scroll down and click on my Why Am I So Angry workshop. You can also check out the link in the show notes for today's episode. All right, let's get back to the show.
1: you know, you're lucky I put so much thought into this. A lot of therapy sessions have gone into this question. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily now, you know, my kids are two, four and six now. Mm. And probably if you'd asked me this, even a year ago, I would have been much more self-deprecating in the answer. Like for a long time, I thought I was better in air quotes before having kids. I was stronger. I was more resilient. I was more capable. I was even happier. And I've almost even had that reflected by, you know, family members or friends. Like, oh, but you seemed so much more carefree before kids. Like, You seemed so happy. And like, what happened? And it's so interesting because for a while I kind of believed that story. You know, I was like, yeah, I was happier before kids. Like, what happened to me? Like, who have you become? And actually, it's so interesting now to sit in it and realize, like, no, I'm actually happier now, but it looks very different. Yes. So, yeah, I'm way more emotional. Yeah, I don't take criticism as well. Yes, I, you know, don't have the same resilience when it comes to my work and the projects I'm willing to put myself through now. I, you know, I get more upset by work and by rejection and things, but I don't think that makes me less resilient. It's just that I'm much more in touch with my feelings. So before kids, I was just very career orientated. I mean, you know, it's such a cliche, but I was that like career, 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 I just want to keep scaling up to, you know, newer and greater heights. And I never really thought about how kids would impact (laughs) that. You know, my husband, because I was married twice before meeting now my husband, who is the father of my kids. My first husband died when I was 23. My second husband was a very fast marriage with a lot of interlace with my grief from my first husband. And we got divorced very quickly when I realized that you know I'd gone into it for very wrong reasons in a in a big state of pain yeah and so I extricated myself from that marriage quite quickly and then I met my husband now and even that was a bit of a whirlwind it was so like the relief of here he is this is what I survived all that for and within a couple of years we were like engaged married had our first baby and at the time I was writing a book, so my career didn't seem to be impacted at first. And I had this beautiful, you know, first year of like having my baby wrapped on my chest whilst writing my book. And it was just so blissful and idyllic. And then, you know, babies become toddlers and, uh, and another baby comes along and then another baby comes along. And it was the first time in my life I'd really had to compromise with work. I'd been very used to being like, I just work. Every hour of the day I work weekends and I am ambitious, therefore I get to do that. Yes. And no one has a right to take that away from me. Even partners, you know, never tried and never dared to to make me not as ambitious as I wanted to be. And then, of course, babies do. Absolutely. Um, And so that compromise and realising, like, I had to work in a different way was... I mean, incredible, but jarring and confrontational, but exactly the dose of, you know, reality and shifting priorities that I needed. And, you know, I'm lucky that as a freelancer, I get to set my own hours. I get to work in a way I want to. But of course, it comes with lots of sacrifices. Like yeah. I was saying to my husband on the beach the other day, you know, I'm a very successful writer. Like I have a, I can't complain about everything I've achieved in my career But I'm not in the in group. Yes. In media. Yes. And that is partly my choice and it's partly circumstance, but like I'm not the one at the events and at the parties and being chosen for all the things. I'm a little bit of an outsider. Mm. I kind of live three hours south of Sydney. I don't go into any of the things because I really like to be here for my kids' bedtime. And actually, when I look at the energy sacrifice of like chasing into the city to go to the stuff, I always decide I'd rather just be here in my home. So I get up and I write all day, mainly on my own. And I do have wonderful connections, but I'm not like in the in-group of media. And that's a really interesting place to be with your ego. And I do it very consciously. Like I want to be here with my kids. I want to be for every bedtime and, and I want to be soft enough to connect with them in the way that I want to. But, you know, yeah, that has a sacrifice for my ambition and the things that I want to be and do. So I don't know if I answered your question at all. I just went off in a tangent.
0: No, no, you absolutely did. You totally did. And I was having a couple of different thoughts there as you were speaking, and one of them was on that point that you were making there, I think it's a really lovely thing that you've had that experience, and I'm so grateful that, you, that you're that you bringing that up in terms of that you are still having success in a way that feels good for you, even though it might not look like the same kind of success in the same way. You know what I mean? Like that is, that is normal, I guess, for your industry. And I think that that's a really inspirational thing to hear and hopeful thing to hear for women who are out there in whatever work that they are doing to know that there is possibility to actually create your balance between being a mother and working or career, you know, or your passions, there is a way to create that. But I think that the really important part of what you're talking about there too is recognizing and coming to some form of acceptance around that there will still be sacrifice within that. Like it may, you know, you have to give up on some elements of that, right? Like to be able to still be able to to be in it. Does that make sense? To have sort of skin in the game. exactly.
1: And that's what the choice, you know, I knew I was never going to give up, so to speak, my career. I don't love that phrase, but, you know, I was never going to step away. Like writing is literally in my blood and has helped me to, and, you know, what I believe my purpose on this planet is to share these stories and to help to share other people's stories. So I was never going to give it up, but I had to really think about, and it's an evolving thing, you know, Every Day every week, I'm having to check in. Like, is this still working for us? Does this still work for my husband? Does this still work for my children? Does this still feel good for me? And really like check in with my ego. <laughs> like, yes. Yes. I was talking to a really close friend in the industry today and she was going off to do a TV slot on one of the morning shows. And I used to do a lot of TV and I really enjoyed it, you know, popping up on channel 10 and channel 9 and chatting about a topic. And then I really loved it. However, after my Second baby was born. You know, we had a number of times where I would travel like two hours into the city with the baby to get my makeup done, literally be on telly for four and a half minutes and then vlog home with my baby again.
0: Mm, that's so much. And I
1: just had to be like, if this isn't working for me, and my ego loves being like, I'm on the telly, but actually, this isn't right for the season of my life right now. Yeah. And I'm constantly checking in. With my, and it's very humbling. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> you know, because yeah. I have tons of stuff that does go well. You know, like I have a very successful podcast that I write, which has had like 3 million, 4 million downloads probably by now. But it works for me because my bosses give me total freedom to write it whenever I like. As long as I deliver my scripts to them. I can do it in the middle of the night. I can do it on a Sunday morning. So if my kids are sick, I take the day off and then I just figure it out on my own when I'm going to make that up. Yeah. You know, I'm working on a TV show, but again, my production company is run by two women and they are just, they get what my I
0: get it. Yeah. family
1: life <laughs> looks like. Yeah. So, they work around me. So, like, it's about kind of gravitating to the people that see you as a full picture. Yes. And I can't tell you how many work opportunities I've turned down in the last, particularly two years post pandemic, because it hasn't worked for me and my family. But, you know, on the flip side, that has always created space for amazing opportunities that do work. And so I think I'm really just having to focus on that because, you know, you could just beat yourself up like, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that. I gave up that money and I gave up that opportunity. But instead, I really just like, but I get to do this and I get to do that. And these people want to work with me as the mother, Amy, Yes, not just as the writer.
0: Yeah, I love so much that you talk about this idea of people who see you as the full picture in the workspace and I think in all arenas, right, in our lives Mm -hmm. because I remember having a client where we used to often talk about the difficulty that she had because she would try and show up in her career and she ran her own business and she was in tech and she would often talk about how the industry was basically dominated by men anyway And she would talk about the difficulty that she had trying to show up professionally, right, whatever that looks like, in this industry that is dominated by men who are not the ones doing school pickups and are not the ones awake in the middle of the night breastfeeding and all that sort of stuff. And she would talk about the difficulty and the angst that she had and her worry that she wouldn't be taken seriously and all of this sort of thing. And I remember saying to her, you've got to play the strengths that you have which are because you are a woman and are because you are a mother. Mm. Like you have strengths there that these other people don't have. And you also have, you know, this incredible opportunity to create space for someone like you in this industry as well, right? Yeah. And also the other thing it made me think about when you were talking about turning things down is like every door that we close, we allow the opportunity for another door to open. So, you know, those those opportunities that we turn down that are like, oh, you know, that could have been good money or what a great opportunity to work with that person. It just, you know, it may not align in all of the right ways, but it allows you to have space to say yes for the right one when it does come along, doesn't it?
1: Oh, always. Whenever I turn down something and I have that, you know, hour or two of feeling sorry for myself to my husband he always says, you always do this, Amy. You always have to turn down something or something falls through and you sit here and go, oh, my God, oh, my gosh. And then two weeks later, something new appears. And, this, you know, that's even how my podcast, the Space, came about. I can't remember what I turned out, but something fell through. And then I got a call from them and it turned into this, like, incredible opportunity. And that's always the way, but, of course, you know, the element of trust that we have to have. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's the reality is it's also hard when – You know, of course, I'm talking in cliches, but it's so often true. Like my husband has a lot of freedom. Mm. (laughs) He often is away for his job for weeks at a time. And he does just go. Of course, he misses us. Of course, he feels bad. But there is an agreement that he is the one that leaves, and I am the one. Someone needs to stay. Yes. Someone needs to be here. For the kids because my family are in England and his aren't close by and we don't have that buffer so for me to have a selfish career where I'm just here everywhere wouldn't work for our family unit and just for this you know maybe in a couple of years he will be the one taking a step back and I will be the one who you know gets to just make a choice and go but you know this works for us right now yeah. And I am privileged enough in my career that I can make everything work within this family. But yeah, like you said, it does come with sacrifices. You've got to accept that to a degree.
0: Yes. And I also just, so yesterday I actually spoke with this wonderful woman, Lucinda, who's doing a podcast called Ready or Not. And the idea is interviewing women who are mothers, but also have careers in whatever area and talking about what it has been like for them to balance those two things. And so it's making me think about this. And that idea of having a boss or a team or however you think of it, that sees you as your full picture is such a beautiful thing I'm thinking about now in that sense as well. Like for women who are going back into the workplace or who are considering how they will go back into the workplace, starting to have those conversations with people who they work with to get a sense of, do you see me as the full picture? And recognising that if they don't, if they're not able to see that, that there may be problems that will arise. And looking for ways to introduce maybe their bosses or you know their work colleagues or whatever to that full picture because I think sometimes also we like this client that I was talking about want to present as though we can show up as though we don't have children, right? And so getting comfortable in saying, no, this is who I am now. Like I actually am a mother now. And that means that these are the boundaries around that as well, in terms of how available I am. And, Mm. you know, I don't go to all these events, as you were saying, and, and that kind of thing, and actually owning that so that we can, you know, show up in our workplaces and say, this is who I am now. And these are the boundaries that I have.
1: Exactly. And you know, it's really interesting. And we've all got so much better at it post pandemic out of necessity. But you know, because me and my husband work from home and granted, I'm upstairs and he has an office space downstairs. So he is more separate. But I will often say to him, like, if the kids are having one of those days, like, don't you mind that like the baby's crying and you're on a conference call and he doesn't care. He's like, I don't care. He doesn't have like, you know, if it happens to me, I have that natural feeling like, oh, my God, what will people think? But he truly is just like, they know I've got a family. They know I work from home. This is
0: just it.
1: And, of course, it would be different if literally the kids were running through his office. But he's like, if you're in the garden and I'm on a call and they can hear you in the background, he doesn't feel any sense of any negativity. And I always think, God, I could learn something Mm. from that. And You know, there have been times where I've had to walk in and, pass him a baby and he's had to sit for the back end of his conference call with a baby on his lap and again you don't want that to happen all the time but like this image of us we are one big ecosystem our family and we've got two very successful careers and three very energetic kids yeah. and we do our best to make that work together and sometimes we win and sometimes we lose mm-hmm. yes but <laughs> you know people who are coming in whether it's to like collaborate with us professionally or you know, to interact with us personally, I want them to see our whole family. Like this is the five of us that you are buying into. Yeah. It's not just me. And kind of, this is what you get. Yes.
0: I love that. (laughs) And
1: you know, my bosses who I love, they ask about my kids and they, you know, text me before they call and say, is this a good time? Or, you know, they know that on a Wednesday I have all the babies. And so if they do have to call me, they're like, it's fine that all the kids are going crazy in the background. They understand what I am. And that took so much pressure off me because I have done the jobs before, not for long. But when I was pregnant with baby number three, which was during the pandemic, the client I was working with at the time didn't even know I was eight months pregnant. Mm. And it was meant to be like a, a one month contract, which then extended into like five months. And so at the beginning, I thought, I don't need to tell them I'm pregnant because this is one month, month, you know, yeah. I've got tons of time and it was in lockdown. So they only ever saw my head and shoulders on zoom. So I didn't even mention it. And then the month picked by and my due date was coming closer. And I got to the point, I was like, this is ridiculous. People literally don't know I could give birth any second. Mm. And, you know, I ended up having to send them an email and saying, oh, just FYI, like, I literally am to give birth next week. And it just felt like such a disservice to myself. Like, it wasn't then, actually, they would have been fine. It wasn't that they were anti-pregnant mother. It was a story I had told myself about what it would say about me. And, yeah, it was such a disservice to this really special pregnancy and the child I was about to give birth that I was kind of hiding her professionally And so I did kind of make a promise after that that I would show up as me, whatever that was, and it's felt better ever since.
0: Mm. What did you think that that would say about you? Because you said you were, that you sort of reflect on that now, thinking Mm. I didn't talk about it because I thought that this would present something about me in my professional setting. What was that concern that you had?
1: I think because it was a rolling contracts and it kept being renewed like every month I thought as most people or some women do I just thought they'd find someone else if they think I'm about to go on maternity leave they will just choose someone else then I wanted just to prove and you know stubbornness on my part right like proving I can do this nine months pregnant I can do this with a newborn like I literally had two weeks off and then I went back to that role I mean working from home and only part-time but I'm still kind of look back and say, like, what did you have to prove? Like, who was I trying to prove myself to? Why couldn't I have just softened and said, okay, I'm out. Like I'm about to have a baby. Thanks so much. And off I go. Why was I so keen to be like, yeah, I can do this with a newborn and still keep going. And I think part of that was the time it was happening. You know, we were in lockdown. The world was so uncertain and I was having a baby in lockdown. And I think I was, You know, I do tend to, if I feel out of control, like constrict around my work. Yes. And I think it was very, you know, an old coping mechanism of going, I feel out of control. The world's gone crazy. I'm about to have a baby. I am going to just be ambitious because that feels safe for me.
0: Yeah. You can have some control there.
1: Totally. I can just prove I'm still the workaholic go-getter that I always was, even when the world is imploding. And so I think it was just a lot to do with that. And actually then, you know, I was lucky to find an amazing therapist after or during and then ongoing after the pandemic who helped me so much and really kind of untangled that for
0: me. Mm. And it's interesting because even when you talk about, you know, the worry about not being taken seriously for that job, essentially, is kind of what you're talking about there. You're so right. I think lots of women worry about that when they take on roles, even if they've actually in the early stages of pregnancy, worried about what is my employee going to think about that? Like, do they think that I'm not going to stay or do they not want to support that? Is that not a workplace for that? So I think that that's a common experience. But I think I'm trying to think how I can tie this together in my mind as you were speaking. It made sense and now I'm trying to say it out loud and I'm I'm not sure if it's getting there. But connecting that and the concern about proving that you can still work at the same capacity even though you have children and all of these humongous, you know, each child that you have is a huge change to your lifestyle, right, Mm -hmm. but still wanting to prove Maybe to ourselves, maybe to the world that we can still show up in the same capacity that we have throughout the rest of our lives. It reminds me of the part that you mentioned earlier where you talked about how you would have seen yourself in the past as more driven, more constant, maybe more resilient mm-hmm. and all of that sort of stuff. And about how when you were talking about the change that you've experienced since being a mother, I heard you talking about a softening, mm-hmm. a softening in so many parts of who you are and how you recognise in some way that that is a requirement in this stage of life, right? Like to mother, we do need to soften. We need to lean into that feminine a little bit more. And it reminds me of conversations I had with my guest that I had from one of the other episodes, and she was talking about this idea of not not kind of valuing that softening, right, as a culture, like not valuing that softening And instead really valuing the ability to remain the same all the time, Mm. right? Like, so be able to work hard all the time. Doesn't matter if you've had children, you know, and that kind of pressure that we experience as mothers to not change, right? Like you talked about that people would notice that too. Like you've changed or what happened? And I've received so much of that. And in my head, I'm like, what happened is I had two children. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like nobody remains unchanged from that right like you can you can wrestle with that as much as you want and go through all of the pain and grief of wrestling or you can relax into it experience the pain and grief of like the losses that you feel and everything but move through it right yep and you know so I'm just hearing that in a few of the things that you're saying and I just wanted to know your thoughts on that around the softening and around this expectation that I think we feel to, remain the same and if we don't we've done something wrong right like we're not living up to a good standard
1: totally I and again this is something that's taken me a while and I'm still working on because on my harshest days I still beat myself up about everything that you said that consistently why are you not always happy and actually you know looking back I wasn't always happy before but I had all the time and space every day to do two yoga classes a day to, you know, meet up with my friends all the time. And then mother who comes and you don't have that time. Like I do prioritize, I exercise every day. I meditate twice a day. And, you know, I'm so grateful for those tools. But of course, like your heart is on the outside of your body. So, you know, on the days where my little boy is sick or my little girl comes home from school and she's had an argument with her best friend or the baby's struggling with something, like you feel it so deeply. Mm-hmm. And so that consistency that you previously had It's not just my emotions I'm feeling anymore. It's three little people's emotions that I'm also riding. So, of course, you're not as consistent as you used to be. But what I've gained from that, which has helped me so much in my work, is that, you know, compassion and empathy component of it. Because, you know, I specialize in helping people with really emotional and often traumatic stories to turn it into a product, whether it's a book, a podcast, an article, and, you know, previously I would have done that in a very commercial-minded way. Like, this is how we do it to make the most impact, to make the most money, to get the most clicks. Yeah. And now I still do that, but I also see the emotional implications of sharing such a sensitive story. So I'm not only able to help people turn it into a product, but I really want them to, to heal in the process of doing that. Mm. And there's no way that I could approach it with, this kind of softness if I wasn't a mother, because that just wasn't who I was. I was just commercially minded. And now, you know, I ended up doing my counseling qualification when my second child was born. Not because I wanted to actually work one-on-one with people in session like you do, but because I realized what an emotional upheaval is to share a story. And I wanted to be able to meet people where they were. Yes, And I would never have had the patience, you know, when I think back to me as a 25-year-old reporter, and I'd already been widowed, so it wasn't like I didn't realize what grief felt like, Mm. but I was still just very impatient and like, tell me a story, let's get those lines, get those clicks, like, let's get the headlines. Like, I didn't have that softness, that motherhood when, you know, you have to lay in bed with your daughter stroking her hair to sleep or sit there for hours with a vomiting child and just keep giving and giving and giving to them. There's no way I could have the relationship I now have with my writers if I wasn't a mother. So I think we need to value that and we don't. And we also, what we value is how many hours you've worked this week and how many clients you've signed. And it's really hilarious because I often think I'm less successful now on those negative days because I only work part time. Yeah. However, I have the same income as I work full time, but now I only work part time. And yet I think I work less. So it doesn't equate. Yes. And yet it has a, such an impact on how my self worth professionally, even though the numbers and the evidence is there to be like, you're actually more successful now. You're a mother. Mm. But because <laughs> I go, but I only work three days a week. In my mind, so quick to go to you're not doing enough. Yeah, and you know that's it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's such a hard thing to disentangle from, right? Like that kind of social conditioning that we've received about our enoughness being tangled up in productivity. And in fact, it's not even actually always productivity, because as you're saying, you're actually much more effective yeah. with what you're doing now than you were previously, but the idea that productivity is tied up with how hard you're working, right? Like how many hours you're actually, you know, using up or or how hard it actually feels. That's the other part of it, yep. right? That thing about like the pain that's associated with just breaking your back, right? In that industry or whatever it is that we do that, that equates to a hardworking, valuable person, right?
1: Yeah. Like literally in my bathroom where all my affirmation cards are stuck on my mirror, one of them says, measure success by how much fun you're having and how creative you feel. Yeah, And that is really where I try to be now. And I see it every day and it's stuck up there because it's hard for me because, you know, we are measure your success by how much money you're making and how many hours you work. But for me, yeah, measuring your success by how much fun you're having and how creative you feel is a real game changer with how I feel going into my work week and juggling the babies in my work.
0: Mm. And I actually feel like, that is something that we can apply even in that space of mothering as well, right? Like if it feels really hard and that you're trying to keep lots of balls in the air and you don't have moments to breathe or to meditate or to sit on the toilet properly or to have a warm drink or whatever it is, it's like thinking about, how can I make this actually easier? Like, do I have to be? Because I think that that productivity thing, it's not just in that workspace. It's also for many women, it's in motherhood. It's in the mothering. It's like, I need to be busy. I need to be actively doing activities with my kids all the time or taking them places or, you know, school sports stuff or like, you know, there's just so much. And I think that that kind of Conditioning that we receive through, you know, through our society, through our culture, it infiltrates into everything, including, you know, how we work once we become mothers, but also how we mother, right? Mm-hmm. So that idea of like mothering can be a space where there is ease in that, right? And that there is fun in that and that there is joy in that and that there is space to relax and to rest. Yeah. Rather than being this thing where you're having to prove yourself as a good mother by how hard you work, right?
1: And I kind of, I see that because, you know, we all like to feel like a bit of a badass. Like I don't Mm -hmm. want to feel like I'm just a mum. So I kind of see that as my own kind of rebellion. Like me and my husband always talk about like being our own role models and running our own race. And we are very good. Like we're surrounded by like our parenting friends who we love. They are very high achievers, all of them. And that's why we gravitate towards them. But it can also be hard to compare yourself. Like they're doing 10-week challenges at the gym. They're going off to do triathlons. Their kids are all signed up for stuff. They're working in the city. And it's really hard not to get caught up in that. But we we really kind of try and rebelliously run our own race in terms of like our kids aren't in any after-school classes. And they're only little. They're six and under. So they're also not asking. Yeah. But we're not pushing. Yeah. And you know, at the weekend rather than doing all the group activities, we will drive two hours to a beach in the middle of nowhere and we will run around on this nudist beach, just the five of us. And we're really good at like really thinking like what do we really want to do? Not what is everyone else doing, but what do we really want to do? Because we want our kids to We want our weekends to feel good Mm. and not just like trying to match everybody else's expectations. So, yeah, we're quite selfish. (laughs) I don't think that's selfish though. I just feel
0: like that's actually so aligned. That's such an aligned way to be in the world no matter what it is that you're doing in life, like to actually ask yourself what feels good to us and what allows us to feel nourished as a family and as individuals and what gives us a sense of ease in our lives. And I really resonate with the school sport thing. Like I grew up doing lots of sports and stuff. and I don't have a thing about that, but I've always been like, as long as I can, I really want to hold off on it because my life feels so busy as it is anyway. And, you know, we've got one now who's in school full-time, so he's going to be seven next year. And we did sign him up to nippers this year on the Sunday. And he says often he'll wake up and say, I don't want to go because I just want to stay in my pyjamas and play, and we don't go. I'm just like, you get to choose if you want to go. And, like, half the time I don't even want to go. So I'm just like, (laughs) I'm stoked when he says that. But it's like really this thing of, like, it's only for you if you are enjoying it and if it's fun and it needs to feel relax not like another thing during the week that we're all busting ourselves to get to by a certain point in the morning and you know that sort of thing so I love that idea Mm -hmm. and I also really love that you call it this rebellious act because I love talking about the idea of like how can we radicalize our mothering right and radicalizing is that it's like as simple as going you know what like it's not going to be that long before our children maybe don't want to spend the weekends with us and really do want to spend Mm. a lot more time with their friends and stuff. So let's make the most of that when we can. And that doesn't mean we want to be with our children every minute of the day and love it. Of course not, right? But I'm just saying, like, how do we not add to the pressure? How do we allow for flexibility and flow and, you know, that sort of thing? So
1: yeah, I love that radicalise up mothering, because I do think you can start to disappear and any way that you can feel like you've still got your edge, And it's a very different edge than like, you know, I always laugh because my six-year-old, her favorite party dress is this black, tiny, fringed dress that I used to wear to work when I worked at a fashion magazine. Oh, wow. I used to like (laughs) strut through Sydney, off between the magazine offices in my six-inch heels in this tiny dress. Mm. God knows how I fitted into it. But now my six-year-old wears it to every birthday party that she goes. (laughs) It's like far too expensive for any dress of six-year-old and it's hilariously like, it looks like she's going through a goth stage. Yeah. But like it makes me really like realise the difference between the seasons of my life because I just go, wow, like that was me and this is also me. Mm. And isn't that pretty amazing that we have the bandwidth to be all those people? All
0: those people, yeah.
1: But I did, you know, I did used to feel so edgy and cool back then. And so I love any way that I can still feel that now. And, you know, for us, like I started learning to skateboard at 30 and at the weekend we all go to the skate park. And I'm one of the very few mums who, you know, instead of sitting on the side ride, is literally in the bowl skating around. I think with my you kids.
0: are so rad. I've seen your videos and I'm like, look at this boss. Like <laughs> you And you know what? So I cool. feel
1: like a boss. You know, I do like, I'm not gonna downplay it. Like those yeah. the, the rare moments where I just go, this is the person I'm so proud to be. Mm. And I'm pushing my own limits and I'm, you know, I hope my daughter see me and just go, yeah, that's what a woman can do. Yeah. Um, and I just, I think anytime we can find those little glimmers where we feel like an edgy, cool chick, like I'm all
0: for that. <laughs> Yeah. And I really see, like I've watched those videos of you and I'm like, oh, I see you as your child self as well is Mm. what I see that, And I sort of think about that for myself when I have those moments when I can really let go and join in the silliness with my kids, right? Whether it's like playing crab games or jumping on the trampoline and like really letting go. So I'm jumping really high. And in those moments, I'm like, oh, this just feels so nice. Like it is, it does feel silly, but it's like it's the liberation within that as well it just feels really beautiful oh, it's
1: so great like any opportunity here to yeah like you said jump on the trampoline with the kids get into the tree house that we built them like I'm literally thinking of turning half their tree house into my writing spot and I think oh, beautiful any way that you can like I used to think that my kids were holding me back in my career on the, my worst days I would be like oh I can't do this because of them And now what I'm realizing is is that they are my colleagues in many sense. And like so much of my work is inspired by them. And I talk to them about my work, like some easier than others. I have a children's book, How to Recycle Your Feelings, which is obviously they love and they give to everyone. And that's very easy for them to understand. But even, you know, I talk to them about my podcast. I'm writing a new book now, which is inspired by a conversation I had with my six-year-old it's in the spiritual realm. And she kept asking me questions about the spiritual concept. And I said, I actually don't know the answers. But what if I go out and interview a bunch of really clever people and I see if I can find the answers for you? Mm. And I pitched that book I did to Hay House and they brought it. Oh, beautiful. And it was all because of this conversation with my mm. six-year-old. And she checked in with me. How's your book going, mummy? What oh, have you found out for me? Who have you spoken to? Mm. And it's such a, an example of how, like, it can all come together when you just have a really open mind of what it looked like because my career certainly does not look the same as it did pre-kids, but there's no way I'd go back. Yeah, This is far, far better and more fulfilling than anything I've felt before.
0: Mm. In that little explanation that you just gave that I really heard the gifts that you have received through this. And so often they're so unexpected, right? Like yeah. like it, they're not things that you would ever have planned. I mean, most people, when they think about what are the gifts of being a mother, they think about just the fact that they have their children and they love them and that it's wonderful to watch them grow up and stuff. But those ideas... You know, that ability to receive gifts across so many areas of your life from doing this role is magic. And I feel the same way in terms of the work that I do. I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing now if I hadn't had my children. And it is so incredibly fulfilling in a way that I never had work fulfill me before. And it's just, it's also the healing that I have experienced through the work that I do and through. The further education that I've done that's relevant to this, you know, to working with women in perinatal kind of spaces. And it is absolutely not anything I could have thought of. And I have had those same experiences too, where you talk about where you think, oh, you know, if my kids were not here, I'd be able to do this. If my kids, and I do have those thoughts and every once in a while, I still have them now. But then, as you said, like what I've received because they are here is so much more than the changes that I've experienced that, you know, the things I can't be in touch with or whatever, just a different phase of life. And I love that you are able to see the way that their presence, the role that you are holding for them, but also the interactions that you're having with them and how that is building for you in terms of the creativity and all of that sort of stuff is just magic it sounds magical.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, not to mention the emotional cracking open in terms of like you said, the healing, and it can feel like you are going backwards at oh,
0: yeah. Like it can,
1: I've certainly had moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, this stuff is coming up that I thought I had dealt with. Like I was fine before I had kids and now I'm suddenly dealing with this childhood trauma. And, yeah. you know, but actually looking back, like, I wasn't fine before. I was just doing a really good job of being in denial. Yeah. And having kids doesn't allow you to be in denial anymore no. <laughs> because they're such a mirror and there's such yeah. a responsibility to, you know, close the loop on your trauma as much as you can so that they're not inheriting it again and again and again. Yeah. So, you know, like pre-kids, like I thought for this instant, I thought I was fully healed from an eating disorder. I really, really wasn't. Now I truly, truly am. I thought that I'd dealt with the grief of my first husband. I really hadn't. Now I'm way beyond the journey than anywhere I was before. And the same with, you know, it makes you look at your relationship with your own parents and oh. it, it just makes you look at everything mm. and it, it hurts.
0: It hurts. It <laughs> and really so hurts. Like, yeah. oh my
1: God, am I just relapsing and going backwards and what are all these feelings? But every time I've been cracked open since having kids, it led to such an amazing revelation and brought me so much further forward in my healing journey. And there's no way I would have even gone as deep as I have if I hadn't had like three people that I look at every day and say, like, I want to show up for them, like you said, consistently. And I didn't always have consistent love in my childhood. Mm-hmm. And one thing I want to give them is consistency. And if that means I have to let it go in my career in order to be consistent for them,
0: mm. then that's what I'm prepared to do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you know that thing that you said about thinking that you were fine before and how there is the hurt, right? Like, and I was, I've been sort of toying with the idea of a conversation around grief as a solo episode because one of the things that, is more and more apparent to me is how grief is just a part of our life all the time, moment to moment, right? All different kinds of griefs, like grief around people who we've lost, grief around parts of ourselves that we've lost, grief around what we didn't have in our childhood, grief around what maybe we cannot have in the future. Like there's just grief is such an integral part of our lived experiences for all of us. But I think that for many of us, we have really effective ways of avoiding being present with it, right? And I think that when you are a mother, because there are these mirrors and you're coming into contact with so much stuff that we may have buried or found ways of avoiding so well, I think that we carry the sadness and the grief and the loss. It's just that we're much more present with it moment to moment is what I think happens for us when we're in this stage. Like for me, I often think about that and I'm like, yeah, like I didn't used to get so sad or if I did it was like contained for a period of time that would be when something happened maybe up to a month of time right where I'd get Mm -hmm. really low about stuff and then I was like completely fine for ages and ages and ages until something else that I couldn't handle happened. but what was happening is that I was like finding a way to suppress that and then move on with life whereas I think now because, because I have to do that inner work constantly in order to be able to show up in a balanced and stable kind of way for my kids it means I'm having to constantly notice the grief that is there right and the sadness that comes with that
1: yeah and I mean you know they say right family is one nervous system yes and my middle child our little boy he is just like hooked him to me when I am sad he is sad when I am angry he is angry like To the point where when he was a baby, particularly, I could track like if I was in emotional turmoil, he'd get a rash or his eczema would flare up. Like he's literally like a little barometer that I can go, okay, I need to deal with something because he's not coping because I'm not coping. And, you know, previously I would have just worked. That was my go to from when my husband died. Like my dad was paralyzed from cancer when I was 17 and I just worked. That was it. And I didn't leave any space for thinking about anything outside that and then kids come and you sit breastfeeding for hours and now I sit playing Lego for two hours and like there's so much time with your thoughts and again it's so uncomfortable but so important and you can't run away with it you've got literally nowhere to go.
0: Mm, (laughs) Absolutely.
1: So you have to face it. You do
0: and I think also like because just addressing that that point that you made before about how we can sometimes think that we're going backwards. Like I've even had clients who I've sort of finished up with recently just because my work is changing slightly for the new year. And some of them have said, I feel like I've gone backwards. And I'm like, you have so much more capacity than you had back then, right? Because maybe they went through a period of feeling really good and now maybe they're in a bit of a more wobbly time. And I'm like, if you actually think about it, you have so much more capacity now because you've found ways to be able to be with your sadness and your grief. Just because you're feeling it doesn't mean you've gone backwards. Whereas, you know, for me, at least when I think about those times when I was suppressing, I was just like, no, 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 I can't. I don't have time for this. I'm not dealing with it. It's too much. It's going to be like an avalanche over me. I don't want to be in that place. Like that kind of, it's not even that it was conscious, but I can see that now. Right. Whereas now it's like, I have so much capacity In my nervous system to be able to hold my own dysregulation, but also the dysregulation of people around me, right, my kids, and that obviously helps me in my work as well. And so, yeah, I think sometimes it's so important to provide little reframes, right, like, we could see it as oh, I've gone backwards, or do you actually just have a lot more capacity to hold? things than you did before, right?
1: I love that because it is so easy to look back on this pre kid version of yourself. And you know, it's all rose tinted as well and what we choose to remember. Yeah. But just remember ourselves like swanning around, socializing off the yoga and always happy. (laughs) And you know, to really actually examine what that memory is. Like the one, is it true? Mm. And two, like like you said, is this version of you worse? Or, you know, is this bad? Is this going backwards? Or Mm. have you just just amazing Yeah, like my emotional intelligence now, it's so beyond anything that I had pre-kids. And yeah, that means that I like cry at TV shows that I would never would have cried about before. Or, you know, I struggle when my husband says something even slightly negative about my parenting because I really, really care. But that's certainly not a negative thing. And it definitely makes me a better mother. But yeah, we have to obviously just be more on top of what our nervous system needs and what our family's nervous system needs. Probably just work a little bit harder at that. You know, I would have. well, I was about to say lie, actually. I was going to say I would have been able to cope pre-kids without meditating, but I used to go to yoga twice a day and I never missed the yoga class. I'd go before work and after work and twice on the weekend. So actually how amazing it is now that I'm not doing that and I feel this good. Yeah. Because I think if you'd taken that away from my 26-year-old self, she would have crumbled. Yeah. Because it was such an important part of her identity and her emotional resilience. And yet now on an average day, you know, I get up, I'm feeding three kids, like fit in a quick meditation and maybe a quick run around my neighborhood, and then I'm into work and then I'm picking kids up from school and then and I still manage to be pretty damn happy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's a sign of how incredible like we all are with our coping
0: mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd love to ask you, I mean, I feel like we've covered some of this, but I'd love to hear the way that you summarise that and that would be what do you think has been your biggest area of growth to date since becoming a mother?
1: Okay. Mm. I think my flexibility because I was rigid in my life and work before in all areas and now my ability to wake up at the weekend and say, let's see what this day brings is a whole new world for me and always leads to the best experiences on the days that we just go, let's pack the car and drive and see what happens. And that would have been terrifying to me pre-kids, like, but I need to work out where are we going to eat? Like, what time are we going to be back? And so that flexibility serves me every day.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And what would you, for the women who are out there listening or for anyone who's out there listening, what do you most want to impart on mothers who are listening today?
1: No, no. I think be okay with your, I mean, I speak about work particularly, be okay with your career looking completely different in this season of your life. And rather than comparing it in a negative way, which is what we have the tendency to do, Really try and focus on the positives around it and, you know, realize that would you really want to be doing the same thing that you were doing pre-kids or 10 years ago? Like change is the absolute blessing that we have in our lives, and children make it impossible to avoid.
0: Oh my
1: goodness, they do. So see that as a gift that they give us because the constant change that they Evoke every day and week in our life is actually what's going to make us progress and totally make us the people that we're meant to be.
0: Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm. Thank you. I would love to finish off with some rapid fire questions, which just give us a bit of idea of what Amy is up to and listening to and all of that sort of stuff outside of what we've kind of talked about. So I'd love to know what are you listening to at this moment in your life? And that could be. Music wise or podcasts, some people are big on those too.
1: I really only listen to podcasts. Um, it really depends on my mood. I actually just listen to Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard all the time because it's just, I used to listen to parenting and psychology podcasts, but actually I find it's just too close. And when I'm walking with the pram or playing with the kids, I just need something that's completely different, like celebrities and funny. So I kind of erred away from the self-development stuff because I find that's too close to my work. Yeah. So yeah, anything that actually makes me laugh and just makes me not think about my work is always great
0: Mm, yeah I know what you mean I go through I go through periods where I just really want to consume stuff that's related and then other times where all I want to do is listen to funnies and so I'll listen to comedy podcasts and things like that Exactly. yeah yeah I totally get that and what's the could be last tv show that you binged or last movie that you watched
1: uh, relevant, actually. I watched Bad Mum Christmas last night with oh, yeah. my husband. <laughs> so, I am, you know, I'm awful to pick a show with because speaking of, you know, being sensitive, I can't watch anything too sad, anything too scary. I'm really like a nightmare to watch anything with. So we do tend to watch the same stuff. And now because I'm deep into book research, I'm kind of watching documentaries and stuff that are related to my next book. Yeah. So um now my husband I to put up with that for the next year whilst I until I hit my deadline.
0: <laughs> I'm like, you know, it's funny, I am like that too. Like I go into so much effort to research what I'm gonna watch now. Cause I before I was the same as what you're saying where I could watch anything and it I didn't feel that it had an impact on me, but I don't believe that was the case. Whereas now I just am a mess. So I have to be more careful with what I watch and more aware of how that's actually going to be impacting my nervous system. Mm.
1: I know. Well I really feel it and I just done a few months of hypnotherapy into really like working on my subconscious around certain fears I have related to my first husband's death and it's really made me realize the impact of like what we listen to on our subconscious
0: oh huge
1: Uh, yeah because in my dreams I dream about like the hypnotherapy audios and sessions that I have so then I think oh my gosh and then I'm listening to all this stuff and watching all this stuff so of course that's all having an impact as well so, yeah, I'm trying to be a little bit more conscious of what I consume, especially before bed, because I do have a bit of a rampant imagination. And yeah, I like to be a bit more in control of what I'm thinking about. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Fair enough. And I just have to ask, so The Bad Mums, that's a TV show, right?
1: That's a movie. It's oh, it's a, a movie. movie. About, Why did I think that's It's a the a one TV with Mila Kunis and okay. um, Kristen, whatever she's called, and they all like fuck off Christmas and say we're not doing
0: Christmas this year and then oh. they
1: all go a bit crazy. Yeah,
0: so it's <laughs> funny. <laughs> Very timely. Okay, I'm gonna have to check that out. Okay, beautiful. And what is the most um, influential book you've read? And lots of people have trouble picking just one. So if you can't, that's okay.
1: Hmm. Um, my gosh, you've totally stumped me. I have like hundreds and hundreds that I've read, but I can't think, I mean, you know, there's all like the standard ones, like I love like Eckhart Tolle's New Earth. Mm. So, like, I read a lot of spiritual books, and I have. I mean, going back, I remember when I was, tw- I would have been nineteen, eighteen when I flew to Australia on my own, and mm. my dad was really sick at that point. They thought that he was definitely not going to recover from his cancer, which he did actually. But, mm. and I decided to fly to Australia, and my mum gave me feel the fear and do it anyway. And it was my first self-help book I ever read. And now looking back, I was so like young and I used to read it on every beach when I was traveling around oh, Australia so on my lovely. own. And my dad would think, yes, way before self-help was like truly trendy. And now I just think the impact of that on me as like a 17, 18 year old. Um, I also at the same age, you read Tuesdays with Maury. Have you read that? Mm, no, I haven't. It's A journalist like gets in touch with an old high school teacher who is, at the time, like dying of a degenerative illness. And every Tuesday, he goes and sits with him. And every Tuesday, he teaches him about, you know, the his perspective of life as a dying man.
0: Oh, wow. And it's
1: truly incredible. Tuesdays with wow. Murray. Wow. And I read it when I was 17. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which now, I literally just brought it a few weeks ago because I was listening to a podcast about it. And I reread it. And I thought, gosh, this was a lot for a 17-year-old. Wow. But they were so influential in me in... I think I realized really early on through my dad's illness and then my husband's death, like the fragility of life, but also, mm. you know, not that in a doomy, gloomy way, but in a really hopeful, like, seize the day. Yeah. We've just got to be courageous in everything that we do. And I think those early books really shaped me more than I will
0: ever really know. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a gift. Mm. What a gift from your mom. I'm just thinking, wow, that's amazing.
1: I will say like my parents, you know, they taught me to meditate when I was 17. Again, before meditation was certainly trendy, they taught me to meditate. And just in a very gentle way, they started introducing me to like the concepts of different spiritual belief systems. Mm. And again, I kind of took it for granted at the time as like a norm. And now, you know, it's become such an important part in my life and what I believe in and how I parent. And Yeah, I'm pretty thankful that they gave me that gift. So I'm trying to impart it into my own kids in in an age-appropriate way, and those are some of the most special moments I have with them as a parent, where we have these conversations, and you know, we meditate together. And my little boy will like we we do an om kiss when he goes to bed. So we kiss each other and we om into each other's lips. And honestly, those are the moments where, for all the inner criticism that you give yourself as a mother, I'm like, I'm doing, doing a good okay job. yeah I know that feeling
0: and it's so good hey I'm just like high five and I'm like remember this remember this moment remember Only this moment I'm
1: like, when, when they all throw the dinner on the floor tomorrow like just remember this little magical moment and you're you're doing just fine
0: yes oh it's so good and it's good that you're taking the time to notice that you know to you know we might talk about those as glimmers right like the opposite of kind of triggers these moments that ground us in a sense of safety and remind us that we're okay we're doing okay we're on the right path
1: Mm. Yeah. Beautiful.
0: That's a lovely point to end on. Thank you so much for spending time chatting with me today. I've so, so oh, enjoyed pleasure. speaking to you. Amy, if people want to find out more about you, where can they go? Uh
1: check out my website, amymolloy.com.au. You can find all the details on my book writing course, the book writing remedy, how to work with me one-on-one, mm-hmm. plus a bunch of other stuff I do, or just follow me on Instagram at amy underscore malloy. Beautiful. Check out my skateboarding videos there. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> so
0: rad, so rad. It just made me like, oh, maybe I should start skating, but I have given it a go and scooting as well and pretty much just like eating shit. Mums <laughs> have
1: reached out to me. Like I've had a bunch of mums say they started skateboarding. because Oh, of
0: fantastic. What, and I'm
1: like, oh, this is why. Because I'm always, yeah. you know, like, oh, don't post the video, don't post the video, and then do it, yeah. when I get messages from mums being like, "I'm skating because of you," I'm like, "All right, I'm good."
0: <laughs> I might have to, I might have to start up rollerblading or or roller skating again because i really used to like that's definitely a child thing for me. Like, I loved it; I did it so much when I was a kid. So maybe I could do that alongside because my kids scoot. So my yeah. husband
1: rollerblades and he loves it, and there's yep. some awesome people to follow on Instagram, and they dance they dance Mm, roller skate
0: oh yeah i love that yeah i love watching those (laughs) and they're so and they're so cool i'm like oh my god if only i could be as smooth as you (laughs) 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 amazing thank you so much i will make sure to include your info in the show notes for people listening thank you so much amy it's been a pleasure Thanks so much for joining me, Mama. If you enjoyed this episode, I would just love for you to leave me a review and follow or subscribe to be notified when the next episode drops. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me over at Instagram where my handle is at Life after birth Psychology, and you can find out more about how I can support you on your mothering journey at my website www.lifeafterbirth.com.au. See you back here soon for our next chat.